This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. So, good morning. I'm Ronnie. And uh, presently, we're like in the middle of a sermon series called Meeting Jesus. And so, each week we're studying like one episode in the Gospels in which a person has an encounter with Jesus. In other words, we're studying stories of people discovering Jesus for who he truly is. So this morning, we're primarily studying a story of a woman who suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years. And this story is absolutely touching uh, when you really begin to examine the details. Now, it's important for you to note that the story of this woman comes to us right in the middle of a different story. That is, the episode with this woman is kind of like this interlude to a different story about a religious official named Jairus. And Jairus had a 12-year-old girl who was critically sick. And so the passage begins with Jesus and Jairus on their way to Jairus's house to help his daughter. And while they were walking together, Jesus had an encounter with this woman who was sick. Now, it's important that I don't separate these two stories, and here's why. So we're in this sermon series called Meeting Jesus, and every time a person discovers Jesus for who he truly is, their lives are changed. In the same way that you can't just walk away from a train wreck, you can't walk away from a train wreck with Christ's lo- from, of Christ's love. And so in our story, we're going to see Jesus heal two people, a woman with a chronic disease and a little girl. But guess who is the one person who is getting healed in the deepest sense? It's this guy, Jairus, right? The only one in the story who no one thought was sick, right? Jesus had no, or Jairus had no ailment. But as he walked with Jesus to his own home, Jairus discovered who Jesus truly is. Jesus is not a magician. Jesus doesn't do cheap tricks for people. Jesus is God, and he is the compassionate Lord of both the living and the dead, of the sick and the well, of the rich and the poor, and the accepted and the forgotten. And so the healing of the sick woman and the little girl is really just a platform for the healing of Jairus. And let me just say, That's actually the point of this whole sermon series. We want you to have front row seats to the ministry of Jesus, just like Jairus, so that you will truly know him. See, we live in a world where the words Jesus Christ are as ordinary as the word cheeseburger, right? There's a a kind of casualness and therefore an irreverence to the person and work of Jesus. And under no circumstance, lamentably, do we allow Jesus to change our choices or shape the way we see the world. And at best, Jesus is like this companion in our life who's just rubber stamping everything we already want, right? But most certainly, he's not shaping and forming and directing what we should want. And I would suggest that the only reason that we can be so casual with Jesus is because we have lost our vision of who he truly is. It's like we have a detonator to a nuclear bomb, right? And yet there we are just throwing it around the house like it's a Nerf football. We're clueless. 
But I have good news. Jairus was clueless too. And Jesus took Jairus on an adventure to discover who he truly is. And, and in the same way that Jairus had this exclusive vantage point to learn from Jesus, you guys, so do we. That's what we get this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to study Jesus' encounter with this woman who had this, this uh, discharge for 12 years. And through it, we're going to discover what it taught Jairus about faith and sin. So in other words, uh, we're going to see that faith is both private and public, and sin both departs and enters, all right? So with that brief outline, that's going to be our outline this morning, we're going to go straight to the text. So in reverence to God's word, would you stand with me? And you'll see in your bulletins, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Hear now the very words of God. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then, he came, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little girl is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowds and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of the blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who had uh, said, Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the, the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw commotion and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. I think that's my favorite part. Like, hey, get this girl a sandwich, you know? The grass withers on the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Amen. You may be seated. 
So let me just begin uh, by telling you about Jairus. So we're told in verse 22, right, that Jairus is one of the rulers of the synagogue. And, and here's what that means. This man was respected in his town, right? He's a community leader. He's likely part of the Pharisee party, which was the sector of the Jewish community that had the most prominence with the people. And coincidentally, this is the group that was growing incredibly impatient with Jesus and his teachings. And so by going to Jesus, Jairus is kind of breaking ranks with the Pharisees. And it's similar to what happened with Nicodemus, if you know a little bit about that story. Now, why would he do that? Why would Jairus do that? It's because Jairus is a family man. And he had a 12-year-old daughter that he loves very much. And Jairus is suffering because his little girl is dying. Now, listen, you guys. Really rich and successful people have their little girls die all the time. Fresh on all of our hearts. It's not just Kobe Bryant. It's his daughter, Giannis. Suffering does not discriminate. There's no interview process. And so this man, he felt urgency and desperation that made him put his politics to the side and fall at the feet of Jesus, as it says in verse 22. And guess what? Jesus agreed to help, right? So the two of them start their journey through the town. And now Jesus had been there before, and the crowds already knew about, like, his healing and casting out of demons. And so since his arrival, there were these great crowds. Verse 24 says that they thronged about him. Why do we talk like that? Who uses that word throng? But it says they thronged about him. This would be like, let me just tell you what that means. This would be like Jesus walking through the streets of old San Juan, like during sunset, right? San Sebastian, Right? So imagine like just tons of people. Now Jairus is in a hurry because his daughter is dying, right? And, and, and then Mark tells us that there's this woman who absolutely should not be there. See, she has this menstrual flow that she's had for 12 years. And we're never told her name, but let me tell you about her. By virtue of being a woman, uh, she had no status. And unlike Jairus, she is nobody important. And her disease is a cause of shame and isolation. See, according to Leviticus chapter 15, a woman with discharge is considered unclean. Being unclean for 12 years, right? So this means she's not permitted into the temple or the synagogue. This is a woman who has not been to public worship for 12 years. Now, when a person is ceremonially unclean, it means that she can't touch other people because then they would be considered unclean for a time. So this is like the religious coronavirus, all right? It, 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 it's, she's like a social pariah. It's really inconvenient to socialize with her. And to make matters worse, verse 26 tells us that she had spent all of her money trying to get better, right? She's broke. She had no one to help. She's broke. She's isolated. She has no husband or children. And in that patriarchal context, let me just interpret that for you, that represents security. She has no security. Now, when you consider all of those factors, what follows is truly impressive. This woman should not be in the middle of these crowds, right? But she's desperate. Her covert operation is risky, but there's something in her, right, that says in verse 28, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. 
And she just wants to touch his tassel. Now listen, this may not be superstitious, but it's a little stitious, right? Right? I mean, this is not some grand act of faith. And that's the first thing I want you to notice. Her faith might be weak, and she might be the only one who knows about this faith. I mean, maybe her faith is private, but it is real. And what we see is this, is that a weak faith in a great God is far superior to a great faith in a weak God. Y'all see that? And how do I know this? Verse 29 tells us that she was immediately healed. This little superstitious touch. She could feel it in her body. It worked. And Jesus stops and he asks, verse 30, who touched my garments? Now listen, Jesus knew. (laughs) He knows everything. Right? Y'all remember like in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, then they jump into the bush. Y'all remember that? And then God asks, where are you? God knew. Why did he ask the question that he already knew the answer to? And here's why. He wanted a relationship with them, even in their rebellion. The same here. Jesus' question who touched me is not about gathering information. It's an invitation into relationship with this woman. See, although her faith began in secret, Jesus didn't want it to stay that way, right? He wanted it to become public. Who touched me? I want to see you. I want you to see me seeing you. I won't look past you like every other single person in your life. Now, the disciples are a little bit annoyed at this. Did y'all notice that there in verse 31? Look there, it says, Lord, we're walking through the streets of sunset, right? Everyone's sneaking, touching you. What kind of question is that? The thing is, is that this woman was touching and reaching out differently, right? Her touch was different. But Jesus stops and he delays. Now, I want you to remember that Jairus has front row seats and his 12-year-old daughter is on the brink of death. I mean, right, could you imagine your child uh, being in an awful accident, maybe trauma to the head, bleeding out? You're in the emergency with both the doctor and your child, right? He's tending to you and then all of a sudden someone comes up in the ER and he just wants to show you his severely infected like stitches in his leg or something like that. I mean, it's bad. But he's not going to die, right? And the doctor just, instead of treating your child, just stops and says, hey, whoa, let's talk about that. Tell me your story. What's going on, right? You would be irate, wouldn't you? Jesus stops and delays. Why does Jesus ask this question? First, he needs her to know that he loves her, right? He's not going to allow this woman to play tag with him and run off, right? No touch and run. He wants to know her story. This woman knows what has happened. In fact, in verse 33 tells us that she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And now this woman's been outed. This woman's identity is out. No more hiding, right? Her secret faith is now becoming public. And listen, this woman desperately wanted to be healed, 
But Jesus longs to give her so much more. Verse 34, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus never even met this woman, and he doesn't just heal her or make her clean. He makes her family, right? And he does it in a way so that everyone can see and hear. Jesus wanted to make sure that the crowd saw this woman. See, her faith started in private, but now it's public. And Jesus made sure of that. The healing that happened to her, it's not just some magic power. It's her faith, which is now both private and public. And he needs her to know that he loves her. And he also wants his disciples and the crowds to know that Jesus loves her. And he especially wants Jairus to know that he loves her. See, by healing this woman, he's also healing Jairus, right? The woman has been, uh, has been in his community for 12 years, right, with this condition. She wants to go to his church, but she's not permitted because of her illness. Jesus is saying, Jairus, I know that you're in a hurry, but have you ever really seen this woman? Or do you look past her? Have you ever stopped to just ask her her story? Or is she just a person you try to avoid? Jairus, those 12 years of joy that you have had with your daughter have been 12 years of suffering for this woman. Do you know that I came for her too? You know? It makes me ask myself, who are the invisible people in my life that I don't see? I mean, maybe I see them, right? But I don't see them. And Jesus came for them too. Jesus did not come for just one kind of put-together person. He came for all kinds of people. Jairus, this religious leader, is learning about the wide love of Jesus. And so maybe you're the Jairus, and you need to think about who you're looking past, or maybe you're the woman who's never been seen. And maybe in both cases, you really need to know about the wide love of Jesus. Or what I want to do now is I want to transition to my second point. So what I've tried to suggest is that in our passage this morning, there are two girls that are being healed. And as Jairus seeks the healing of the second of his own little girl, Jesus takes him on an adventure to ensure that he is the one who's truly healed. And so our second point is a sin that departs and enters. Now, there is this Really, there's a second feature in this passage that's quite strange, but extremely important. So Jesus is walking with Jairus through the streets, pressed in by the crowds, and we noted that the woman touched him. But Mark tells us, look there in verse 30, that Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out from him. Does anyone think that's strange, Right? I mean, is this like Jesus has like this superpower battery that needs to be like charged and recharged? 
You know, I've always wondered why in the Marvel Avenger movies, like the Scarlet Witch, she, when she starts using her powers, like she's grunting, like she's lifting weights or something. Like, is, it, is that kind of what's going on here with Jesus? Not at all. Not at all. The answer is actually much more profound. And theologians have thought about this for hundreds of, uh, excuse me, for centuries, hundreds of years. And, and here's what we're meant to learn. And follow this. Jesus came to heal the world because sin has ravished everything. So sin has corrupted our souls and our moral lives. But more so, sin is the conduit in which death and disease has come into the world. In other words, when it entered into the world, not only were human beings corrupted and alienated from God, but all of creation is alienated from God. And this is why cancer exists. That's why there's ecological crises, right? Everything needs healing because everything has been corrupted by sin, all right? Well, in Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament, the prophet tells us that the Messiah, when he comes, would come and deal with sin. And he does so by bearing in his body the iniquity and transgression of all of us, indeed the sin of all creation. So now with that kind of paradigm, right, following me here, with that paradigm in mind, we're going to go back and think about this precious woman's sickness. This woman is experiencing the corruption of creation deeply and personally. Her body does not work the way it's supposed to work. And when she touches Jesus, she is immediately healed. Her sin-corrupted disease left her in the same way that Jesus' power left him. So why does Mark include this little detail? It's because, listen, it costs Jesus personally to heal this woman. Her healing is free for her, but it's not free for him. There's this exchange in that moment. We've got to understand. Now listen, healing a 12-year-long hemorrhage is easy for Jesus. The price is payable. There's a principle here. The sin and corruption that departs must also enter. So what comes next will be more demanding. So at this point, Jesus and Jairus have still not come to their primary mission, right? Healing this woman was just like this divine interruption. So Jesus heals the woman. But then 35 tells us that a report came to him at that moment that says that Jairus' daughter is dead, right? Jesus waited too long. Don't even bother anymore. There's no point, they tell him. Now, Jesus isn't bothered at all by this report. He says to Jairus, verse 36, do not fear only believe. Now, what happens next is so interesting. Jesus completely blocks the crowds from continuing with them, right? He doesn't allow any of them to follow anymore. And now, why does he do this? Well, in the first case with this woman, Jesus wanted the crowds so that the woman would publicly be reinstated in their community, right? So Jesus wanted to take her out of private shame and into public honor. But this is not the same, the case for what comes next. See, Jesus is not interested in simply putting on a show for the crowds. Jesus never performs a miracle to show off. 
So in this case, he dismisses the unbelief and only allows faith to remain. See, Jesus doesn't do apologetics with his miracles. The healing is not for the skeptics. It's for the faithful. So when Jesus arrives, he enters the room, and there are people crying. These are professional mourners. Now, that's kind of hard for us to understand in our modern uh, culture, but it's actually a practice that is still present in Middle Eastern cultures. And, And Jesus says, verse 39, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, at this point, he flips a switch, right? They're cry- that for them, they're crying, turns into laughing and, and uh, burlandose. How do you say that? Um, like, um, how do you say that in English? Making fun of them, right? Making fun of them, right? And um, see, they, they kind of think that Jesus is like crazy. And again, just like before, and just like he did before, he dismisses them out of the room, right? He's not a showman. He's not an advertisement. He's not a circus attraction. Now, with only the parents... Uh, the child's parents in the room, Jesus whispers, verse 31, Talitha kumi. Now listen, you guys know that the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, but on a few occasions, the authors maintained the original language of Aramaic. So for instance, the word Abba, Abba Father, right? That Abba is an affectionate way of saying dad, but in Aramaic. So these tender moments stuck in the imagination of the writers of the New Testament. And so they would often, in these cases, preserve the original Aramaic. Right? So Talitha Kumi. This means, little girl, I say to you, arise. These would be, listen, would be the same words that a mother would say to her little girl on the first day of school. Right? These would be the same words that a father would say to his little girl to wake her up because they're about to go on a long trip of vacation to Disney World, right? Talitha kumi. It's a sweet way to speak. It's like saying, okay, baby girl, it's time to wake up. It's tender. It's personal. And upon saying these sweet words, what happens? In the same way that the disease left the woman... Death left this little girl, and she wakes up as if she were sleeping the whole time. Now, can you imagine just the elation in Jairus' heart? See, people had seen Jesus heal the sick before, but raising the dead? This is a whole different category Now, listen closely, because Mark, the author, is showing us something really, really important here. This healing creates attention in the text. In the same way that it cost Jesus personally to heal the woman, it will cost him again. But this time, the price is higher. More than a little power leaving him will be required this time. This is a whole different category. This healing would not cost him just a little bit of power. Jesus' breath would have to leave him as he dies the death that this little girl deserves. By telling us that Jesus raises this little girl from death, Mark, the author, is preparing us for what's going to happen nine chapters later. 
Jairus knew that by reversing the fate of his little girl, Jesus would seal his own. We must not forget that the sin and corruption that departs must also enter. And what do you think that did in the heart of this father? Jesus healed the woman with the 12-year flow. Jesus healed this girl of 12 years of age. And Jesus healed the rebellious heart of Jairus and sealed his fate for eternity. Jairus' life was turned upside down. And he became a truly loyal man. Y'all remember what we said was the whole purpose of this sermon series? Right? We really want you to meet the true Jesus, right? And John Stott, remember, he writes, he says, if you read the Bible, you'll see that nobody who ever met Jesus Christ ever had a moderate response to him. There are only three kinds of reactions to Jesus. They either hated him and wanted to kill him. They were afraid of him and wanted to run. Or they were absolutely smitten with him and they tried to give their whole lives to him. Jairus truly met Jesus for who he is. He gave up everything to follow him. How about you? How about you? Have you met Jesus? Do you know what the stakes are? Have you met him? Do you know what Christ paid to have you? To heal your broken heart? And not just to heal your heart, but to make you a son, to make you a daughter. Do you know him? May the Lord give you and me faith to believe and meet him. Amen. Amen.